Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. Whether you are in the room live, watching live online, later on demand, or listening to our podcast, we've been praying for you to experience the life-changing power of God in your life today. I'm Chris Voigt, and I lead the team here at Dayspring. That team is made up of people committed to helping you grow. People grow here because our team loves to challenge, encourage, and equip people to become more like Jesus. If this is your first time visiting Dayspring, we want you to know that this is the kind of church where you get to be you. We're just like you, imperfect people on a journey. We're allowing Jesus to make something beautiful out of our broken and often messy lives, learning to live like Him, a little more today than yesterday, a little more tomorrow than today. Even if you aren't sure that you're ready to be on that journey with us, maybe you are skeptical about the claims of Jesus or skeptical of His followers. Well, this is still a great place, a safe place to explore and ask questions as you look for answers. We're asking those same questions and looking for answers too, so I think we can be pretty good company on your journey. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church, by checking out our Facebook page, or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your home church, or if you just have questions, let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find a discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. And now, let's join our service. Welcome to the third installment in our series, Parenting, Winning the Battle for Your Child's Heart. And make no mistake about it, there is a battle for your child's heart. Forces in our culture, spearheaded by Satan, are doing everything they can to strip parents of their authority and influence in their kid's life. Some of those strategies are obvious, like the attempts to legislate parenting that we've seen in places like California, and educational nonsense that comes out of Washington, D.C. and is mandated for our public schools. But most of these forces do their best work in the dark, in the internet spaces kids inhabit for hours a day. Uh, the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry reports that on average, kids between the ages of 8 and 12 spend 4 to 6 hours a day watching or using screens. For teens, that number jumps up to 9 hours a day. And as much as we try to monitor what they are consuming and for how long, the truth of the matter is that they are better at the technology than we are. And where there is a will, there is a way. And there is certainly a will on the side of evil to capture the hearts of your kids, to decrease and undermine the relationship and influence you have in their lives. And by the way, I'm not just talking to parents in the active parenting phase of life. This applies to all of us. Not just that the enemy is battling for our hearts. That's a lifelong battle that we all need to be equipped to fight. But Satan wants to limit and undermine the relationship we all have with the kids in our community. We are all in community together. We are learning to do life together. We grow better when we are deeply connected in an intergenerational body of believers. That applies to our kids, teens, young adults, medium adults, and large adults. I thought I'd try a word other than old adults, but I'll keep workshopping that one. Every Christian parent wants their kid to embrace a lifelong growing relationship with Jesus. 
That is statistically more likely to happen when the entire family is deeply connected in Christian community. And the kid, or kids of course, have five solid relationships besides their parents with other adults from that community. That's why we focus on integrating middle and high school students into, ser- into our serving teams. It's why they are here in big church instead of off doing their own thing. The more opportunities they have to connect and build relationships with other adults, the more influence we all have in their lives. Influence that will help them develop their own relationship with Jesus. Uh, Parents, you know this. There will come a time when what you say to your teen seems to matter less. Now, I say seems because, we're, as we're going to discover today, it never matters less. But there will be a season where what you say seems to matter less, and what they say to you is just less. Who do you want them talking to when that happens? The person pretending to be a teenager on the other end of that Discord channel? Or someone who has the same values that you have and wants the same thing for your child that you do? Uh, For you, parents, that is why you need to prioritize church life in your family. You need to maximize relationship-building opportunities with their at least five lifelines here at church. And for those of you who are not actively parenting, whether you have adult kids, no kids, or no kids yet, that is why you are so important. You are one of those lifelines. And that's why this series is for you too. We need your positive influence in our kids' lives. And we need you to be using the same language and aiming at the same target so our kids are getting a consistent message pointing them to Jesus. It all comes down to relational influence. Now that's where we started our journey on this topic, parenting with the relationship in mind. If you were here the first week, you'll remember that Didi's and my, our North Star as parents became, we want the opportunity to be fantastic grandparents. We want to have the kind of relationship with our kids that makes our kids want to be around us when they no longer have to be around us, so that we can develop fantastic relationships with our grandchildren. Well, grandchild, at this point, who knows when when Josh is going to settle down? You never know with musicians. They're a flaky bunch. (laughs) Keeping our eyes on that long-term goal gave us wisdom when we faced short-term problems with our kids. It helped put each battle in perspective and gave us the wisdom to know which battles were hills to die on and which ones we needed to, to lose in order to win in the long run. For example, when our kids were younger, church wasn't optional. It, was a high, it, it is a high family value. We are the kind of family that goes to church and to youth group. That's just what we do. But with both kids, there came a point in high school where the battle to get them to church and youth group was damaging the relationship and putting our long-term vision at risk. So we dropped youth group. Besides trying to keep our relational influence with them, we also didn't want them to hate church or resent the church, especially um, for pastor's kids. That can be a really fine line to walk. So we chose to lose the youth group battle on purpose. Uh, By the way, I'm not saying that you should make the same choice. I really believe in our student ministries and its leaders. I didn't have the confidence then 
which made that the best choice for our family at that time. Uh, We chose to lose this battle because we were playing a long game that our short-term thinking kids didn't even know existed. So we are parenting with the relationship in mind. We want a lifelong influence with our kids that transcends any short-term decisions that they make. We want a lifelong influence that transcends every season of a kid's life, which is where Michelle took us last week through the four stages of parenting. You know, it, it would be great if there were only one stage of parenting. It would be easier. We could buckle down in the early years, say from birth to five years old, and then coast through the rest of life. That way we could expertly navigate the teen years. We'd have it down pat by then. But no, somebody had to design a constantly changing situation. You mean we've got to keep growing and changing and adapting? I love this quote that Michelle shared with us last week. Author Christopher Yuan says, The primary goal of Christian parenting is not necessarily to produce godly children, but first and foremost, to be godly parents. Now, we've talked many times about how different the way God thinks is from the way we think. Isaiah 55 makes that really clear. His frame of reference is so completely different than ours. As parents, we think we are taking on the responsibility of producing and raising godly children. But at the end of the day, Since good godly parents raise kids who reject Jesus and bad ungodly parents raise kids who embrace Jesus, clearly whether or not a kid becomes a godly adult lies in the hands of God the Father. Parents are definitely called to model what a life devoted to Jesus looks like. But what Christopher Yuan means here is that parenting is about your journey to think, believe, and act like Jesus. God uses your kids to grow you up. Now, that's not how most of us think. We, when we focus on raising God, godly children, instead of focusing on being a godly parent, we send mixed messages to our kids. And they aren't the good kind of messages. Most of the time, they become do what I say, not what I do kinds of messages, whether we mean to or not. When you say Jesus is important, but don't live that way, your kid is reading you loud and clear. When you are in one moment screaming at your kids to clean their room or cursing at the idiot who just cut you off, and in the next minute telling them to be kind and speak with respect, your kid is reading you loud and clear. They are learning to live like Jesus, like you live like Jesus. Hey, no pressure. (laughs) Remember, it is ultimately in God's hands whether whether your kid turns into a godly adult or not. But you can make it easier or harder for them to make that decision by the way you devote your life to thinking like, believing like, and acting like Jesus. If your actions don't ring true to your kids, they'll see right through what you say. How you live is incredibly important. And how you live includes how you talk. Your words, and specifically for today, your words to and about your kids. Words matter in every stage of parenting. Your words matter. Now, as we've talked about each week, the Bible is pretty light when it comes to giving actual parenting guidance. Jesus says nothing about how to parent. The Apostle Paul says a couple of things, and there are a few verses dispersed throughout the Old Testament. But parenting is about a relationship. 
It's about discipling another person in the way of Jesus. Which means that though the Bible doesn't have a lot to say specifically about how to parent, it does have lots to say about navigating relationships. So we can apply many of those principles to this specific topic as long as we're careful about context. Uh, when it comes to words, the Bible is filled with good stuff. So let me set the stage with some of those principles and then we'll apply them specifically to parenting. Uh, first, uh, James, the half-brother of Jesus and leader in the first century church in Jerusalem, gives us the biggest chunk of verses about words. He writes this about controlling our tongue in James chapter 3. Uh, we can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. But a tiny spark can, get, can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your, life, your whole life on fire. For it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. Okay, now you know this is true. You've been a fire starter and you've been burned by one. The tongue is so hard to control. The words are so good at just leaking out at the most inopportune times, aren't they? And have you ever noticed how often the good words get stuck behind your teeth and never make it out at all. In verse 2, James leads into this section by saying that tongue control is proof of spiritual maturity, which for the sake of our kids emphasizes the need to be godly parents first and foremost. Uh, Jesus was pretty to the point when he said this, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. What does what you say to and about your kids reveal about your heart? Now, even though the Bible is really clear that our words reveal more about us than about the subject of those words, it is also pretty clear about the power of words to bring life. A Proverbs 16.24 tells us that kind words are like honey. Sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. And Proverbs 15.4 says that gentle words are a tree of life. A deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. And then Proverbs 12.18 says some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. So we're, we're looking for kind, gentle, and wise words when it comes to parenting. Now remember that we are parenting with the relationship in mind. We want to have influence in our kids' hearts and minds for their entire lives. Influence is directly related to respect. 
All of us are more open to the influence of someone we respect. We are more likely to resist the influence of someone when we don't respect them. This is just as true for, of our kids as it is of us adults. Respect matters. And here's why it matters as a parent. There will come a day when you can no longer make your child do what you want them to do. When they are tiny and cute and adorable little creatures, you can make them do whatever you want most of the time. Uh, so, some of you do have strong, a strong-willed child who skews to the young side of the example, not to mention any names. But unless you abdicate it to the child, you hold the power in the relationship. And in the earlier stages of parenting, you can make a child do what you want, whether they respect you or not. When our kids were smaller, we were pretty careful with what we allowed them to watch on TV. Now, that was really the only option back then. There weren't a plethora of screens like there are today. And whenever they went to someone's house for a play date or an overnighter, the rule was if they want to watch a show, a movie, or watch a show on TV that we don't already let them watch, then the answer was no. This was also true of video games once those became more prevalent. If there was a question, they could call us or have the parent call us and talk about it. And I can't tell you how many times parents called us amazed that our kids had followed the rule when we weren't there to enforce it. Eventually, those calls stopped because there will come a day when you can no longer make them do what you want them to do, especially if you aren't around to see it or enforce it or compel them. And that's when respect comes into play. All of us are more open to the influence of someone we, res we respect and we resist the influence of someone we don't respect, even if we suspect they are right. Our words are connected to our influence. Never unnecessarily give up your influence or steal your spouse's influence. So choose your words wisely. Now here's what I mean by that. This is a tiny rabbit trail. When your kids hear you talk about your spouse whether you are talking to them directly or they overhear you talking to someone else. When they hear you talk badly about your spouse, you undermine your spouse's influence. You steal your spouse's influence and you make it harder for your kids to respect your spouse. Don't do that. Your kids should never hear you say one bad word, one eye roll, one complaint about your spouse or your other kids, frankly. They are not emotionally able to process that kind of information, and it undermines respect. And you need respect. Respect is directly related to influence, and you want to maximize the influence you both have on your kids. End of rabbit trail, back to our kids. Now we've based this series on Andy and Sandra Stanley's book, Parenting, Getting It Right. In it, they outlined three dynamics that determine how kids process what they hear. First, words are not equally weighted. Words are not equally weighted. Second, source determines weight. Source determines the weight. And third, intent is irrelevant. The intent is irrelevant. 
Now, whether you recognize it or not, these dynamics are, are at play at some level every time you speak to your kids. And if you learn to leverage these three dynamics, your kids are more likely to hear what you say, not what you communicate. So first, words are not equally weighted. You can find all sorts of studies on the internet, but research shows that it takes anywhere between five and nine positive comments to counterbalance one negative comment. But those studies pertain to marriage and other relationships, not the parent-child relationship. So I bet it's more than nine with your kids. Negative words weigh more than positive words. In every relationship, of course, but especially with our kids. I bet you don't remember much of what you said to your parents when you were a kid, but I know there are things that they said to you that you'll never forget. I was a Christ follower when I went to college. I lived in a house owned by a church in Eugene with 21 other guys trying to live godly lives. Aside from school, we spent our time, like most guys that age do, with like-minded girls. And though you definitely couldn't tell by what you see now, back then, I was totally uncool and awkward around girls. <laughs> I know, big surprise. It, it took me quite a bit of time to finally get my mojo revved up just in time to meet Dee Dee, as a matter of fact. Though there were girls I liked and girls I flirted with, even a girlfriend for four days at one point, I really didn't have a girlfriend until I was 24. I remember a phone call with my bio dad in those early years. He asked me if I had a girlfriend. I said no, like I'd talk about it with him anyway. We had completely different ideas about intimacy before marriage. And then his voice changed and he asked, well, do you have any boyfriends? Now, for the record, of course, the answer was no. But in that moment, what my dad thought of me came through loud and clear in one, just one simple question. I felt completely unseen, unknown. It didn't matter that I knew he would never understand a Christ-centered uh, view of sexual morality. What I knew conflicted with what he'd said. And what he'd said was that he didn't know me at all. Now, if that were the only father wound I had, I'd probably have forgotten it over time. But it has stuck around. In fact, I can't think of one time he ever spoke a word of affirmation to me, about me, at least in a language that I could understand. And in the absence of affirmation, neutral to negative words take on even more power. I never felt seen by my dad. I, I, felt, I never felt like I measured up to the Voight standard until some, sometime later when one of my dad's friends told me how proud he was of me. And after I picked up my, my jaw up off of the ground, I asked her what she meant because I didn't believe that at all. He's never given me any indication that he's proud of me. She said, oh yeah, he goes around town bragging about you to anyone who will listen. Color me surprised. <laughs> The Stanley's right, within the context of the parent-child relationship, words are abnormally loud. Whilst, while most words carry some weight, parent-to-child words carry extraordinary weight. Words play such a dominant role in the parent-child relationship that what's not said often impacts children more than what is said. Now, I'd guess that in this room, there are more people like me than not. People who have never heard their dad say, I'm proud of you, or I love you. 
what's not said can stick with you just as much as what is said. Of course, as parents, there are times when we have to deliver negative words in the course of disciplining our children. But in order to properly hear and assimilate and learn from the, the negatives, those words must be carefully measured and surrounded by lots of positives. Those of us who are dads should really think this through. It might not be fair, but it is often true. A father's words weigh more. Sorry, moms, but it's generally true. Dad's words weigh more. Probably because dads represent our heavenly father as well. So as dads, if you are the kind of dad whose negative words just leak out of your mouth uncontrolled, you have some work to do. The more your negative words overrun your positive words, the less influence you will have. Negative words undermine your connection to your child's heart, even if you are right. In fact, you can be right and still lose the battle for your child's heart. You can write your kid right out of your life. Relationships thrive on connection. Negative words kill that connection. When it comes to our words, there can never be too much of a good thing. Words that affirm and build up and encourage, breathe life into your child's soul. And you might be the only person doing that, especially if you aren't deeply connected in Christian community. Our culture certainly isn't breathing life into our kids' souls. That's the first dynamic. Words are not equally weighted. The second follows from the first. The source determines the weight. Uh, ladies, have you ever had your bestie tell you that you look good in an outfit? It feels good, doesn't it? But doesn't it feel better when your husband says hubba hubba when you walk in the room? <laughs> or your teenage daughter tells you how, how young your outfit makes you look? Okay, we know that one would never happen. <laughs> the source determines the weight. Uh, you might not have noticed, but I am a pastor. As a pastor, I've learned, I learned long ago that I have to carefully measure what I say to everyone. My words, because of my role in people's lives, are weighty. With no thought at all, my words could kill dreams and have. With no thought at all, uh, my words can change the course of lives and have. This isn't true just for me. It's true for most pastors. Our words carry weight. They are heavy. And if used carelessly, have great power to destroy. It's easy to forget. The same is true with you, dad and mom. Even when it seems like it isn't true. When your teenager acts like your words don't matter, they do. Your words carry weight. The source determines the weight, not the circumstances or the environment. The source you. The source determines the weight. The weight determines the impact. And the impact determines the outcome. Dad, you have to learn to take you into account. Mom, you too. Some words are better delivered by dad than mom and vice versa. There are times in a boy's life when it is hard to hear what his mother is saying because it's his mother saying it. There are, there are things that boys do not want to hear come out of their mother's mouth. 
And there are things that girls don't want to hear coming out of their father's mouth. There are some issues where moms have more credibility than dads and some where dads have more credibility than moms. When it comes to kids, words matter and the source of those words matters. The right words delivered by the wrong person can make an awkward situation worse. Remember, you do not have the same relationship with your child as your child has with you. When you walk into the room to deliver some negative words, you see your child as someone who knows better, was taught better, and can do better. That's not what they see. They see one of the two people whose approval they want more than anything in the world. So don't forget to take you into account when you are choosing your words. Just as your positive affirmations do more good than you know, your thoughtless, careless, negative comments do more damage than you suspect. Your words weigh too much. And kids, depending on their age, have brains that are physically and emotionally unable to process nuance. So make your home a sarcastic free zone. Stay away from humor that comes at your kid's expense or their friends. It doesn't matter that you were kidding or didn't really mean it. You were just being funny. In the end, sarcasm is a power play. And your kids might laugh along with you. They probably will because they want your approval more than anything else in the world. But they don't see you the way you see them. They don't feel your words the way you feel theirs. You aren't equals. You aren't peers. You don't have the same relationship with your kids that your kids have with you. And the space between you and them, in that space, your words gain weight and velocity, which means they will leave a mark. Again, your words weigh too much. In fact, the next time you find yourself preparing to give your kid a talking to, you might want to pause And remember who you are and what you represent to your child. If you can't communicate your approval of who they are along with your disapproval of what they've done, don't. You're not ready. The source determines the weight. The weight determines the impact. The impact determines the outcome. If you're not ready, you won't connect. You'll feel better, but they won't. And the message they take away might be, my mom hates me. And not to beat up on my dad this morning, I promise I have some good memories too. But growing up in a broken home meant that I lived two lives, two generally incompatible lives. And my bio dad, who worked for himself as a general contractor, would have me work with him when I visited. This was long before shared custody and one week here, a one week there kinds of arrangements came into play. I spent a couple of weeks in the summer and a few weekends throughout the year and some shared holidays. All that to say, when I worked with him, I didn't know anything about what we were doing. And pretty frequently, he would send me off to get the thingamajig that he needed. And I either couldn't find it or brought back a thingamabob. Inevitably, that led to more than a few curse words being thrown in my direction as he exploded in anger. Five minutes later, he would act like nothing had ever happened. But something had happened. He'd broken me. I was stupid and didn't know anything. I wasn't a real void because I didn't know how to tell the difference between a thingamajig and a thingamabob. I, I would never measure up as a man, as a, as a void man at that. 
He never said those words to me, but I heard them loud and clear, even though he didn't mean to send these messages. But words are not equally weighted. The source determines the weight, and intent is irrelevant. You know this if you've ever dropped, accidentally dropped a plate or a glass on the floor and broken it. There is no correlation between intent and outcome. It was an accident. Of course you didn't mean to break the plate. But at the end of the day, the plate is still broken. There is no correlation between intention and outcome. Intent is irrelevant. And while this might be obvious when it comes to dishware in the kitchen, it's probably less obvious when it comes to hurt feelings. We've all had our feelers hurt. We've all had to file a hurt feelings report in triplicate because somebody who loves us, who didn't mean to hurt us, did in fact hurt us. Hurtful words hurt. Regardless of intent, unintentional words still leave a scar. And yet, despite the fact that we've all been hurt by unintentional words, despite knowing that an apology doesn't immediately end the pain, when we are the ones who need to apologize, we retreat to intent. I didn't mean it that way. That didn't come out right. I was trying to be funny. I didn't intend to hurt your feelings. Do you know what those kinds of words communicate in an apology? Blame. You are blaming the person you hurt for taking what you said the way they took it. It was their fault they interpreted what you said that way. They should be more mature than that, tougher than that, able to read between the lines. Even though in those moments, blaming isn't your intent, intent is irrelevant. Our children feel the weight of our words, not our intent, and they feel blame and the associated shame when we couple apology with intent. And they feel something else, the weight of your expectation. Here's how it goes. You say something stupid. They're hurt. You apologize, but they are still hurt. They are still mad, still processing. Just because you are ready to apologize doesn't mean the hurt goes away. Hurt is immediate. Recovery takes time. And the expectation that I said, I'm sorry, now we can move on. You should be fine now, is another way that they are letting you down. If you've ever had a broken bone or a sprained ankle or a torn ligament, you know what it's like to want the healing process to go faster. But you can't rush healing. With all respect to Didi's family, she grew up in a family where once an apology was given, you were expected to act like everything was all right. That the apology healed the hurt immediately. And if the apology was ready to be given before you were ready to hear it too, Bad, so sad. You had forced forgiveness, which worked well for the offender, not so well for the offended. In the long run, it broke relationship instead of preserving it. And since we're all parenting for the relationship, don't do it that way. Yes, apologize, but don't make your kids sit on your lap when you've hurt them. Don't insist on a hug unless they make the first move. Think about how you'd like to be apologized to, especially when you are still processing the hurt. Hugs in those moments will make you feel better. But an apology isn't about you. Let them initiate 
contact. So apologize and wait. Don't ask for forgiveness. Forgiveness is a gift. You've just taken something from your child with your hurtful words. Don't turn around and ask for something else too. I'm so sorry. Period. That is a complete sentence. So stop talking. Explanations are like excuses. So don't. Don't retreat to intent. Intent is irrelevant. In most cases, your kid will be just as anxious as you to restore the relationship. Just let them lead the way. Don't rush the process. Okay, let's close with this, with a reminder. Every time you speak to your children, three dynamics are impacting the conversation in the background. And they determine what your children hear regardless of what you say. Number one, words are not equally weighted. Number two, source determines weight. And number three, intent is irrelevant. All three of these dynamics play a role in every stage of parenting. And if you can figure out how to leverage them well, you will have influence, extraordinary influence in healthy relationships for the rest of your life. And that's the win. That's parenting for the long run, parenting for the relationship. You can't win your child's heart without influence. You can't keep your child's heart without influence. So keep your eye on the prize. One more quick thing. Michelle alluded to this last week. Uh, learning, learn to communicate without yelling, without raising your voice. Raising your voice and yelling should be reserved for emergency situations. Like your kid is about to walk into the road and get hit by a car. Then you can yell. But when your parenting style is yelling in a raised voice all of the time, emergencies will just get lost in the noise because your kid will stop listening to you. Let's pray. Father, help us to become godly parents. Trusting that you love our kids more than we could ever love them and you've got a plan for their lives that you are fully capable of working out without our help. Let us just be godly men and women who model well what it means to follow Jesus with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Father, we, we pray for the kids in our church we pray that you would connect them into deep community with people who are not their parents here at church, with older saints, with uh, young adults, with married people, unmarried people, uh, with just a variety of people who can breathe life into them in ways that parents can't. There are seasons when parents need help, whether they recognize it or not. So may we be the kind of church that provides that help just because of who we are and how we live. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Let me encourage you to download the discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. Working through those questions on your own or with others will help the truth of God's word begin to shape your life as you grow to be like Jesus. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. 
My email address is on the screen, or you can call the church during the week. If you are just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. We count it a privilege to play a small part in God's perfect work in you today. The people who call Dayspring their home church make this ministry possible. Their faithful giving is proof of God's work in their lives, and they want to pay it forward so you can experience the same life-changing presence of Jesus. For those of you who would like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website, or text GIVE to the number on your screen, or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. Until we meet again, I am praying that God would give you opportunities to use your influence for the glory of His kingdom. And one more thing. Thank you for liking and sharing and following Dayspring on whatever platform you connect with us. Thank you for rating us where that is appropriate. Even more, thank you for sharing our services with your friends and family. If this service was a blessing to you, it'll probably be a blessing to someone else too. God uses you to plant seeds in other people's lives. So keep sowing.